Hello everyone, it's Mark Godake here. Welcome to the NT Pod, a podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 39 and today we're looking at the phenomenon of fatigue in the Synoptic Gospels. In earlier episodes of the NT pod, I've talked a bit about the synoptic problem. The synoptic problem is the whole issue of how are Matthew, Mark and Luke related together. There's so much similar material that someone's been copying from someone. And the synoptic problem is all about trying to figure out who's doing the copying. And back in episode 24, when we looked at the priority of Mark, I said that there was one issue I wanted to come back to. And today's the day when we come back to it. And it's the question of fatigue in the synoptic gospels. Now, let me fill in a little bit of background here. It's often said by opponents of Mark and Priority, people who don't accept that Mark is the first gospel, that a lot of the arguments used by Mark and Priorists tend to be rather old-fashioned and shop-worn and they're the same old arguments and some of them they, they argue are discredited. And I set myself a bit of a challenge a few years ago to, to, to see if there, that there are fresh arguments to be had about the priority of Mark. And I push forward one, and, and it's this category of fatigue in the synoptics, uh, which, which I think actually does show you the direction of dependence between the Synoptic Gospels. And I think it shows that Mark is the first Gospel and that Matthew and Luke are copying from Mark. So let me explain why I think that this is the case. The phenomenon of editorial fatigue is the idea that as a particular writer is copying from the work of another writer, they'll often be much more energetic in the earlier stages of the the copying of that story. And so they make changes, characteristic changes at the beginning of that story, and then as they're working through, they gradually lapse back into the wording of their source. And quite often as they lapse back into the wording of their source in the second half or so of that account, what happens is they create slight contradictions. And they're the kind of things that show that that evangelist has copied from the work of someone else. I like to think of them on the analogy with continuity errors in film and television. I mean, regular listeners to the NT pod will know that I'm a bit of a fan of Columbo, and one of the fun things about older episodes of Columbo, especially the 1970s episodes, is that you can occasionally catch nice little continuity errors, which will show you that a certain scene has been filmed on a different day or a different occasion. You know, Columbo's cigar will suddenly uh, reduce in size or suddenly uh, get longer in between consecutive uh, scenes or or William Shatner when he's the guest murderer his moustache dramatically changes between shots. Now continuity errors like that show you something about the way that the thing has been put together and the phenomenon of fatigue is a bit like that. Let me illustrate from a clear kind of example in uh, Matthew and Mark. Now I think with the majority of scholars that Matthew has used Mark's gospel. Now Mark in chapter 1 tells the story about Jesus healing a leper. Now, in the Markan story, at the end of that story, quite characteristically, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this, but go and show yourself to the priest. And that kind of makes perfect sense in Mark's story. In Matthew's parallel to the story, though, in Matthew chapter 8, what happens is Matthew has relocated this story from its mark and context. In Matthew, in chapter 8, what's happened is he's relocated it to just after the Sermon on the Mount, where you've got lots of crowds. So in Matthew 8, 1, you get this notice about how there are many crowds. It's characteristic Matthew stuff to talk about many crowds at the beginning of a pericope. And then he keeps 
the statement where Jesus says, don't tell anybody, but go and show yourself to the priest. And it's kind of a bizarre thing because you think to yourself, well, how on earth can he say don't tell anyone when all these people have just witnessed it? And what's happened is through Matthew just lapsing into the wording of his source, he hasn't noticed that he set up a kind of contradiction and inconsinity to use the technical term. And that's not an isolated example. There are lots of examples of the same kind of thing. When Matthew retells the story of the death of John the Baptist from Mark chapter 6, he drastically abbreviates the story, as he quite often does when he's working from Mark, and he makes changes in the earlier part of the story. Now, one of the changes that he makes is a pretty good one. It's that where Mark talks about this Herod as Herod the king, Matthew realises that this that this Herod wasn't a king at all. He, he was a tetrarch, a ruler of a fourth, and that's what Josephus calls him. This is Herod Antipas, he ruled in Galilee. And so Matthew changes the name to Herod the Tetrarch. Good move, you might think. And then, amazingly enough, halfway through the story, he lapses into the Mark and wording and starts talking about the king. And so you can see Matthew, by fatigue, taking over bits of the Mark and story. And you might notice, too, in the Matthean version of the story, that Herodias is really diminished as a character. She's no longer a really key player in the story. And it's Herod himself that wants John the Baptist to be killed. And this is what becomes rather bizarre, then, halfway through the story, when Matthew is copying out of Mark and he talks about King Herod grieving. Because in the Matthew account, there's no reason for King Herod to grieve, because King Herod in Matthew... Matthew's account had always wanted Jesus to be killed. So what's happened is you've got a little adjustment at the beginning of the story and then a lot of abbreviation which has caused Matthew to show his work there inadvertently. He's not trying to write an account with little mini kind of uh, continuity errors in it, but they're there because of the way that he has he has lapsed in the copying of his source. And you don't just get this in Matthew's copying of Mark, you also get it in Luke's copying of Mark's gospel. I'll give you one example. In Luke's gospel, he resets the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9 to a city, a city called Bethsaida. And you might think, you know, perfectly understandable move to, to relocate something. It often happens in gospel materials. But that relocation that happens right at the beginning of, of Luke's story of the feeding of the 5,000 actually renders much of the rest of the story incoherent because Luke practically copies the bit in the middle of the story from Mark chapter 6 where he has the disciples saying we are here in a desert place. Well they're not in a desert place in Luke. They're in a city called Bethsaida, Luke's just told us. So by relocating the setting of the story to a city, Luke's created a minor contradiction, a little inconsinity. And you get this line um, send the disciples into the surrounding towns and villages where they can uh, buy buy food. And, and you know, th this, this line doesn't really make sense if they're already located in a major city. So what's happened is you've got a little bit of an inconsinity created by means of this phenomenon of fatigue. You often see it in Matthew's and Luke's editing of Mark, and I, I think one of the most interesting cases is where Luke is working from the parable of the sower, because in, in the parable of the sower you have in Mark chapter 4 a parable and its interpretation. Luke copies the parable and its interpretation, but when he copies the parable he, he kind of abbreviates quite a bit and, and takes out some of the detail, and then amazingly enough when you get to the interpretation of the sower in Luke chapter 8, a lot of the detail that he's cut out of the story has been reintroduced in the interpretation. In other words, by the phenomenon of fatigue, he's reintroduced things inadvertently that he'd earlier dropped. So I think you can see again the direction of dependence. It's from Mark 
to Matthew, from Mark to Luke. Now, one of the things about the phenomenon of fatigue is that it might be able to help us with one of the other key areas in synoptic problem criticism, the whole question of Q, the question of did Matthew and Luke use Mark independently of one another? Because if Matthew and Luke use Mark independently of one another, then they must also have used something like Q. If I'm right, and you might remember that I'm kind of outside of the majority view on this one, I think that Luke not only uses Mark, but he also uses Matthew. He, he directly borrows from Matthew. Could the phenomenon of fatigue help us out with this? Well, I think it can, because the curious thing is that in a lot of the double tradition material, you see the same kind of thing, this same kind of phenomenon of fatigue, but it always goes in the direction from Matthew to Luke. In other words, you repeatedly see Luke becoming fatigued with his source material. So to take, for example, the parable of the talents, which you get in Matthew 25, and then the parallel parable of the pounds, which you get in Luke 19. In the parable of the talent, you begin with three servants, each of whom is given a certain amount of money. In Luke's version of the story, in Luke 19, he's extended this to ten servants, each of whom is given a pound. Now, it's kind of a typical Lucan thing to do that. He often has ten people in his Gospels, especially with that ratio ten to one. So he has ten lepers and one comes back. The woman who loses a coin, she has uh, ten coins and loses one and so on. So it's a characteristic Lucan way of reconfiguring things. But then the curious thing is, as you work through the Lucan story, you see that in fact he's presupposing the Mathean version. By fatigue you see him coming through to the Mathean story. So you get the first servant, the second servant, and then Luke says, the other one as if there are only three. And what's happened is, in the telling of the story, Luke has drifted into the Mathean plot. And you can see it in other little details in the story. He's getting closer and closer to the Mathean wording of the story as you go through. Now, of course, it could be the case that... Luke is fatigued there, not with Matthew, but with Q. And that's always a possibility. But the way that I look at it is that, given that we know that Matthew is often fatigued in his copying of Mark, it would be surprising that he never seems to be fatigued in his copying of Q, whereas Luke often is. Or to take another example of the same thing, in the mission discourse in Luke chapter 9, uh, 9 verses 4 and 5, he, he talks about when you leave that town. And, and, you know, he says, when you leave that town, um, you know, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And what's curious there is that Luke hasn't mentioned entering into a town. The, the town that he's got in his head is probably from Matthew 10 verse 11. What's happened is he, he, he's changed the, the wording of the Mathean mission discourse there, but then lapsed into something that presupposed that wording. And you find the same kind of thing in other kind of places. So the idea of the phenomenon of fatigue is just a small indication, I think, of the direction of copying within the Synoptic Gospels. It's places where Matthew and Luke appear to be dependent on Mark, and also places where Luke appears to be dependent on Matthew. And so it's just my own little contribution to looking at how the Gospels related to one another. Well, thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the NT Pod. You can find me on the web at podacre.blogspot.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash ntpod, on Twitter at twitter.com slash ntpod, or just Google for the NT Pod, or look for me on iTunes or Duke University's iTunes U. I'll be with you again soon. Bye-bye.